So we are um, wrapping up a series today called King Jesus. Next week, we're going to jump into a new series um, on engaging our neighbors and really talking about our 2030 vision. And so that will run through November. But we're going to start with a question this morning um, as we finish King Jesus. So what now? Because I imagine this was a question that was being asked as they saw Jesus placed in a tomb. Because all of us ask this question on a pretty regular basis. Right? Something in our life changes, and we're left with the question, so what now? How are things different from this point forward? Um, there are those very insignificant moments, but there are also some very significant moments we ask that question. I was thinking back to a very insignificant moment in the grand scheme of things when I was asking this question. Back in college... Um, Harding University, I had parked my beautiful 1991 blue Buick Century um, with lush um, velvet interior right on the edge of an asphalt parking lot. I, I've told the story, but it's been about five years ago, pre-COVID, so I'm going to assume most people don't remember it. But I pulled up on the edge of this asphalt, right to the edge, and while I was inside, I guess the heat from the Arkansas sun, kind of crumbled the asphalt underneath my tires and allowed my car tires, front tires, to fall over the edge. And so my car was basically trapped. The wheels were let, lodged in with the asphalt. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to back up a little bit and, and it'll be fine. And I hit reverse and nothing happened. And so I floored it. And nothing happened. I said, well, okay, my only other options now are to pull forward, which to do that I have to go off another curb, and the 91 Buick Century is not known for its ground clearance. And so I was worried about my car getting stuck, and so I said, I'm just going to pull forward a little bit and then floor it back as fast as I can to get over this hump of asphalt. And so I did, and I hit the asphalt, and my car just stopped. Wouldn't move. And so the dorm that I lived in had a bunch of football players and baseball players, and so I went and got some buddies who played football who were big, strong men. Um, and so I get in my car, and I say, hey, when I hit reverse, y'all lift the front end of my car and push, and let's get it over the edge. And so hit reverse, and they're pushing and pulling, and nothing happens. And so finally, I decided I'm just going to take a chance and go forward. Because my other option at that point was calling a tow truck and saying, hey, I'm a moron and my car is stuck in an open parking lot. And as a guy, I would not do that. So I pull off the edge and I just hear as I go off the curb, as my car just scrapes the bottom on the concrete curb. And I think, okay, well, at least I'm out. Everything's fine now. And so I parked my car, went on with my day. And the next day, I got back in my car, and I put my car in reverse and hit the gas. Nothing happened. Did you know it's possible to burn out the reverse in your transmission? It is. It is. That's the only gear I lost. 
And so I was really forced to ask this question, okay, so what now? And so my option was I opened the car door and I stuck my foot out and used my other foot while my car was in neutral to push myself back out of the parking spot. And my what now question got even bigger because now I had to figure out what to do on a regular basis. And so I developed this plan as an ingenious 19-year-old would that I would always park in a spot where I could pull straight through or I would park on an incline so I could put my car in neutral and roll backwards. Because to get my car fixed, my reverse fixed, was like 1500 bucks, maybe more. And I don't know that my car was worth 1500 bucks. And so I had this plan. Well, the so what now question got even bigger because I was on a date. Not with Cammie. But I was on a date, and so there were no parking places where I could pull forward. But I found a beautiful parking spot in North Little Rock on an incline. And so I pull in on an incline, and we go in, we go to dinner and a movie, and we come back out, we're getting in my car, and I'm just going to play it all natural, like my car is perfectly fine, like it does have a reverse, and I put it in neutral, ready to roll back, and the car does not move. Because even though it looked like it was a beautiful incline parking spot in this parking lot, the entire parking lot was sloped like this. And so my car was really sitting on level ground. And so I was forced to, on this first date, open the car door, stick my foot out the side, and push. <laughs> and to make it even better, my date goes, would you like me to help? And I said no, I took her home, I never called her again or talked to her or showed my face. <laughs> and, and looking back, it, it's, it's funny, it's pretty insignificant, right? I mean, it, it was the reverse in a car, we sold it, we got rid of the car, no big deal. It smelled like chocolate milk still, if you remember that, that story too. Yeah. E easy sell right there, right? Smells like mold or mildewed chocolate milk and doesn't have a reverse. You want to buy? <laughs> there are those insignificant, so what, what now, questions. But then there are some pretty significant, so what now, questions. You probably remember waking up the morning after September 11th. And you knew with everything in you that the world would be fundamentally different from that point forward. Things had changed. I know you remember just a couple of years ago when our world just shut down. I, I remember I was doing a wedding the weekend before. Um, I was at the rehearsal. On Thursday that week, a friend had called me and said, hey, is y'all's church doing anything because of this COVID thing? And I said, no, that's ridiculous. We're not doing anything different. I spent Saturday on the phone texting with our elders while I was at a wedding rehearsal, figuring out how we were going to do digital church. And the very next day, 
everything had stopped. And you're left with this question, so what now? For the disciples, they had watched probably at a distance. As Jesus on a cross breathes his last breath, is taken down from the cross and put into a tomb, and now left with the question, so what's next? What, what comes next for us? The, the questions of, do we want to go back? If we could go back, do we want to do it all over again? The question was, this year, these last several years, a waste. Did Jesus fail? Did Jesus lie to us about his identity and who he was? They have all these questions, I am certain, but maybe this one would be the biggest. Now, what comes next? Because we ask those questions, this question, a lot. Maybe after you graduate, or start a new job, or lose a job, or lose a friend, spouse, child. Maybe after you come to the realization there's an addiction, there's a problem. What now? What do we do going forward now that our world has changed? That our world is different than it was? So we're going to start in Mark 16, starting in verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early, on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way. Remember, throughout Mark's gospel, Jesus was on his way. He was on his way to get to Jerusalem. Now these women are on their way to get to Jesus. They were on their way to the tomb. So they're headed to the tomb. They have a purpose they have an agenda really in this, that they are going to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. But what we know from this story is their agenda is going to be interrupted. Their purpose for going there is going to change because of what they are going to encounter. And, and I wonder, like, how, how easy is it for God to interrupt your agenda? How easy is it for God to interrupt my agenda? Because if you're like me, you plan, you schedule your day. My day is usually pretty full from beginning to end. And what I need to get done and what I have to do and what I have to do for other people. And so many times it's difficult for me to break away from my agenda when God presents his agenda. Because most of the time, his agenda comes in the form of other people. And so many times, we see that as a bother. We see it as a problem. Someone interrupting our day and our stuff, and we don't want to deal with it. But here, their agenda is going to be disrupted. And they're going to be forced to ask again, I believe the question they've already been asking. So what now? 
We're, we're going to anoint Jesus' body. We're going to make sure he's there in the grave. And then we're going to leave. What comes next? What comes next? See, the only way for most of us to be a part of what God is doing in the world is the willingness to abandon our agenda for his agenda. To, to see those interruptions as a blessing, to see them as an opportunity to minister to, to share with, to bless. And so they're on the way early in the morning going to the tomb, and here's the question they ask. Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? I love that they ask this on the way. They don't ask before, hey, should we find someone else? Do we need to go get some big, strong football players who could lift a car? Do we need to find someone to help us move this massive stone from in front it's the, the couple that's going to the football game in Dallas, and they're on their way, and they say, did you get the tickets? Or was I supposed to get them? They're on their way, and this is their question. Who's going to roll this massive stone away from the entrance? We have a problem. We're going to have a barrier. There's going to be something that keeps us from Jesus, and we have to figure it out. But here's what I've found in my life so often, is we need massive, immovable stones that we are incapable of moving to remind us, one, of who we are and our insignificance, but also to remind us of who God is and His great power, strength, and significance. Because we go through so much of our life with the assumption that we are strong enough and we are big enough to handle whatever comes. No matter what, no matter how big, we can take care of it. And yet so many times we're reminded that in this story, the story of God, we are pretty insignificant. That we aren't as strong as smart, as courageous as we thought we were. And we need God to show up in our life to do what we are completely incapable of doing. Story after story through the Bible speaks of this uncertainty, this so now what comes next? You think of Adam and Eve finding themselves on the outside of the garden looking in, so what now? What's next? You, you think of Noah getting off an ark with his family and these animals in this new world where no one else is there. What now? Jacob and Esau, after they are reunited and their relationship is mended, so, so what now? In this new world that we find ourselves in, what now? Or Joseph, thrown into a cistern by his brothers. So what now? What comes next? Daniel, you cannot pray. So what now? 
on trial facing a lion's den. So what now? And of course, an empty tomb that presents all kinds of questions. So what now? Most of you have heard and know the story of our friend Brody Nelson. This is a, a picture of Ryan and Brody when they were really, really young. I don't, I don't remember. Probably five, four years old. In this picture. And back in 2019, Brody lost his battle with cancer. Maybe one of the biggest so what now moments we've had as a family. Because someone we loved, we cared about, lost a child. Just a week and a half ago, we also lost our neighbor. We've talked about several times, Billy. And one of my favorite things to do is, is listen to my, my kids talk. And, and my kids, especially Kaylee, here in the last several weeks, beautiful question. Dad, Mom, how come when we were praying for Mr. Willie, when we were praying for Brody, that God didn't heal him? Because that's what we ask him to do. One of the things I think we learn as we get older, it's such a beautiful question from a seven-year-old, but I think every bit is difficult to answer even for a 77. Sometimes God answers our prayers in ways that we never imagined. We never expected. Maybe never wanted. But that somehow in the midst of the darkness and ugliness of this world, God still does something beautiful. Because of a little boy who was 10 years old in Cleburne, Texas, thousands of lives were touched and inspired by a child. And you think, well, so it's about the numbers. But I can tell you our lives were touched by a 69-year-old Air Force veteran who lived next door. It's not about the size. It has nothing to do with the impact it makes. It has everything to do with being able to be present, open to God's agenda, no matter what comes, no matter what the circumstances are. 
Because you will have these so what now moments that fill your life. You will ask them every single day. Some of them are pretty significant. Some of them have the capacity to change the world. But here's what happens as they ask this question, who will roll the stone away? Next. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. When they looked up, they saw. When they looked up, they saw. When they looked up, So many times when I have my agenda, my head is down. It's focused on what I'm doing, where I'm going. But it's when they looked up that they were able to see those that God had placed in front of them. An opportunity for them to see God at work like never before. An opportunity to see God do something that no one else had ever done before. An opportunity not only to see, but to be a part of, to share in this incredible story. Thinking back through my life of all of these times, where it seemed like there was this massive stone that was going to be in the way and where God wasn't going to open a door and where I was head down and so focused only to look up and find that God had done something amazing. Graduating from school at Harding, wanting to go into to youth ministry and be a student minister was so frustrating because every time I sent a resume, every time I called places, they said, oh, you're single we don't need you. They all wanted someone who had been married for five years and had two kids. Um, those people have jobs. Um, but I didn't. And finally, this one church who I had never heard of in Cleveland, Texas, even growing up in the Dallas area, had no idea where Cleveland was, calls me because of a friend who said, hey, give this guy a call. And I called, and I did an interview, and it went really well, and they said, can you come down in a couple weeks? And I went down, this place I'd never been, pulled in the parking lot early that morning. I taught class. I went to church. I interviewed and had lunch with the parents. I went and met with the elders, and I started driving back to Garland, Texas. And on my way back to Garland, I get a call and said, hey, can you turn around and come back? And so I turn around, I come back, and I spent the rest of the night with this church talking and praying. And I left there thinking that went really well. And as I pulled off 635 in Garland to go back to my parents' house, I got a phone call. They said, hey, we want you to come work with us. After dead end, after dead end, after dead end, after dead end, God provided a place to do ministry where I would spend the next 10 years of my life. 
And I promise you, they were every bit the blessing to me that I was to them. And in that job, the most frustrating thing was Cleburne, Texas. This small little town where high school kids, college students graduated, and they got out of town. And so there were no girls my age, and I was frustrated, and I was a year into the job thinking, I'm going to have to leave, find another job somewhere else if I'm ever going to meet someone and be able to get married. And then God imported a woman from our, a foreign country to our north called Oklahoma. And it has been the most incredible journey. Never would have imagined. And I could tell you the same thing about coming to Shiloh. How door after door after door closed. And it was the day after we had gotten a rejection from the job we really thought was the job that we needed. Where God wanted us. I got a call from, from Jared Schultz. Said, hey, we want you to talk to us about this place called Shiloh. Again, I had never heard of Shiloh. But somehow, God has used that to be the biggest blessing of my life. Because for the past nine years now, I've gotten to share that with you. God is truly amazing in the way that He works, in ways that we never imagine. So, verse 5. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed, as you could imagine. Don't be alarmed, he said. Which to me is one of the funniest lines in all of the Bible. You're going with a purpose to anoint Jesus' body. It's early in the morning. And then there is a stone that is missing. A massive stone that is missing from in front of the tomb. And not only is it missing, but Jesus who was inside is not there. And you are greeted with someone who is going to tell you he is not here. He has been raised from the dead. Don't be alarmed. No, nothing, nothing to see here. No big deal. Don't be alarmed. Is it even possible in this moment to not be alarmed? Is it even possible to not be alive? This word alarmed, ekthomveo in the Greek, is only used four times in all of Scripture. Twice it's used here in chapter 16, to mean alarmed. Once it's used to mean distressed. Once it's used to be mean amazed. And I thought it was interesting that this word describes an emotion that can be both positive and negative. 
It can describe someone who is alarmed and dis- with distress or with fear, but also someone who is amazed. Because here at the tomb, at the empty tomb, what we find is resurrection is the place where fear and wonder collide. They come together so beautifully. Because he's not saying you should not have this emotion. Instead, what he is saying is this emotion should not consume your life. It should not affect what you do going forward. It should not hold you back. Don't allow it to have the loudest voice. Because this question of so now what is going to come up. Don't let the distress, don't let the fear, don't let the wonder of this moment keep you from what the Spirit is going to lead you to. I mean, can you imagine this moment? Can you imagine if these words are true? Because God is going to act and step in to this story in a way just as He promised He had, He would. But in a way that no one imagined He could. By resurrecting the dead. And you think, well, wonder and fear, that kind of sounds like oil and water. It doesn't mix. But it does. There are moments throughout your life that were full of fear and wonder. I know for me, one of the the biggest moments or easiest was sitting there holding a newborn baby for the very first time holding our our child. And the wonder and amazement that we brought this child into the world. But then the fear of, will she break? The fear of, we're now responsible for another life. The fear of going home and being on your own. Wonder and fear come together creating a beautiful new world. Don't be alarmed, he says. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he has told you. Go tell his disciples and Peter. Go tell his disciples who deserted him, who abandoned him when he needed them the most. Go tell Peter who denied him. Welcome. That there is a place for you. Go tell his disciples and go tell Peter that you are still loved, that you are still accepted, that you are still welcomed. Go tell his disciples and Peter that it's going to be okay. Because if I'm Jesus, that's not what I would say in the moment. I would say, You missed your chance. I would say it's too late. You should have done this on Friday. 
I would say, you should not have abandoned me. You should have been on the cross with me. But then again, I'm not Jesus. I was thinking back to a time when I was in elementary school. The, the most vivid memory I have from kindergarten at Williams Elementary in Garland, Texas, um, we were on the playground, and we had just lined up after recess. And, of course, you know, in kindergarten, everyone's in a perfect little straight line, and everyone's perfectly still and not moving around at all because they're five and six years old. And so the girl right in front of me is named Christy Cook, and she's kind of fidgeting, and so is the person in front of her. And they bump her, and she steps back onto my foot. And my assumption was that she just did this on purpose. And so I stomped on her foot with my heel as hard as I possibly could. And her face just broke as she burst into tears, screaming. And my kindergarten teacher, Miss Souter, seeing everything happen, says, Gary! And I broke down and started just wailing and crying and screaming because she saw what I did. But if I'm honest, like that's how I want to respond most of the time. That's how I want to respond when someone hurts me, when someone says something about me, when someone takes something from me. I want to get even. But the cross and the empty grave says there is another way. There is a new way in this new world. And grace was the only way forward. Grace was the only way forward. Because the law didn't work. Being more devout. Erasing sin. Eliminating it. Just telling people try harder. Didn't work. And the one thing that never changed was the human condition. The problem of sin. It was a problem that had to be dealt with. It either had to be eliminated or something else must be done. And because it could not be eliminated, there were only two paths forward. One, God could abandon his image bearers and say, you are on your own. You are on the outside looking in. I want nothing to do with you. Or, out of his passionate pursuit and love for his creation. He could forgive. And it seems like our world today has lost our imagination when it comes to the possibility of forgiveness. With the place that our world is in, forgiveness is the only way out. And we can sit here as a church and say, well, if they would get their act together, and if they would let things go, then we could move forward. But you and I, as the church of Jesus, were the ones who were called to create this new world, a new creation formed by forgiveness. A creation that was not possible without these words from Jesus. Because without these words from Jesus, we find ourselves on the outside looking in, unwelcomed, unable to come to God the Father. But through these powerful words, through this powerful word of grace, 
disciples, Peter, come on, come back. I still love you. I still have a purpose for you. I still have a mission for you. The world moves on. Right now in the news, you see people all across our culture who are being crucified for what they have done in the past. People's worst moments, worst days, worst decisions keep popping up. Keep costing people jobs. Finances. Can you imagine a world where there is a way forward? Can you imagine a world that is formed by the people of Christ who have been forgiven of great debts, who are going into this world forgiving as Christ forgave you, forming, creating a new world that no one else could imagine? Is it possible that if the church would be the church and act as the church and forgive as the church should, that the world would see something different in our lives? Maybe picket signs aren't the best way forward. Maybe love and forgiveness from Christ Jesus is. Maybe loving our neighbors as ourselves is the only way forward. And so the Spirit of God gives him a word, go. Speaking to this, these women, go. He is going to be there to see you again. Go. And so trembling and bewildered, they start fleeing from the tomb. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. They said nothing because they were afraid. So now what? If the story is true, now what? If the tomb was empty, now what? Because there is a sense of fear, like, oh my goodness, have they taken his body? Is this a trick? There is fear in the sense of if this really happened, what else is possible? There is this sense of wonder. How in the world could this be? See, so many times we look at resurrection and we say, if it's possible, think about what it could mean tomorrow. But the beauty of this moment is if resurrection is possible, think about what it means today. Think about what it means right now. Think about the power of God that He is unleashing on this world. Think about the power of God that lives in you, the same one who raised Christ from the dead. Think about what it means today and how it could change the world. So now what? Go and live 
like the tomb is empty. Father, we thank you. We praise you for all of your goodness. Father, for loving us, embracing us, welcoming us, forgiving us. Father, give us the courage to be Jesus in this world. To love, forgive, embrace, share, bless those we encounter every day. And Father, would you help us to look up and see that you're still rolling the stones away. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.